All right, you take it away. It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. By the time this podcast drops, we will be in day 10 of the hit and run surrounding Bethwood. A lot of developments over this week. So finally on Monday, there was a statement released. It was a statement that said a little, but not a lot. (laughs) I made a mistake in judgment on December 8th. I'm committed to continuing my duties, uh, goes on to say that she was shaken by the accident. She left the scene, left her car on two wheels, propped up on another car, said she made a sharp turn. And I don't even think the ink was dry on this statement when a video dropped on WREL, maybe corroborating the story, but just seemed to add a lot of drama to this. Yeah, the recording was posted on December 8th, the night of the accident by an Uber driver who was driving in downtown Raleigh and just saw it happen and was kind of putting out a PSA on drunk driving. The narration was pretty funny. I think all of NC Pole World was slow scrolling through this video trying to see who the guy is in red shoes who's Kicking the car? Yeah. (laughs) As if a swift kick to the car is going to dislodge it from the other car. While talking on a cell phone. To that guy, we want to talk to you. I think everybody wants to talk to you. (laughs) If you want to tell your story, you're welcome to come on the podcast. We will interview you. (laughs) Tell us about your spectacular foot strength. (laughs) (laughs) so auditor wood and or should i say what looks like auditor wood is walking into rufus edmondson's law office now a lot of folks know rufus he goes back in north carolina politics to his days as attorney general secretary of state Uh, he ran for governor back in the 80s uh rufus is a character don't know if he's the guy to run point on your strategy but we are going to talk to seth palmer later in this podcast now seth is a communications consultant with a lot of experience in crisis management we're going to talk about this bethwood situation what went wrong what she could do to put things back on track if she can put things back on track. But this story continues to develop. We're recording this podcast on Thursday. Today was her first appearance. She sent her attorney to represent her. No news there, but there is another date set. March 23rd. March 23rd. So I'm sure we'll (laughs) have some news on this between now and then, but we'll see on March 23rd what happens and guy with red shoes come on the show so as that saga continued to play out over the week there were some other things that happened in nc pole world starting with last friday on friday we got news that the legislature is asking the new state supreme court to reconsider some things that the previous court had considered in the past We're in 2023, obviously, and we now have a Republican-controlled North Carolina Supreme Court. Up until January, it was a Democratic-controlled Supreme 
court. So this question to the Supreme Court, especially as it pertains to redistricting, and we're talking about state redistricting, which are your legislative maps. We're talking about congressional redistricting. This is about a trigger that the General Assembly would like to have that would allow them to come in in, we've heard, August, September, maybe October, to redraw legislative maps for the 2024 election. Again, General Assembly and Congress. They need the Supreme Court to cooperate here to kind of make this trigger happen. On the voter ID, this is something that's been languishing since 2018. The decision by the General Assembly, or I should say the enactment of the General Assembly, to require a voter ID when you vote. That has been held up by the Supreme Court. This, again, would allow the General Assembly to have their law in action. Speaking of legislature, they are back in earnest. We were in the building this past Wednesday. It was a long day, even though they really didn't do a lot. On the House side, they had kind of the ceremonious handing out of the gavels, which Mm. takes a while on the House side. And speaking of the gavels, there was an additional Democrat appointed as a chair of a committee. So last week we talked about the three Democrats that were given chairmanships of committees. Just want to add that Representative Garland Pierce was given a gavel as chair of the Families, Children, and Aging Committee this week. Uh, Representative Pierce is a longtime legislator. He's a Democrat from down in Scotland and Hope County. He lives in Hope County. He's been identified by some as uh, a legislator who would side with Republicans on certain bills. Now, some have said, nah, don't, not so quick, because he had a pretty bruising campaign in 2022. It's kind of ugly, but we'll see. I'm definitely, we're at the four, four Democrats who are now holding gavels. A few bills got our attention. Filing started essentially this week. We're in the low numbers and some bills when they showed up in the hopper, we took note. So there were two bills filed in the house that have that are new versions of bills that have been previously vetoed by Governor Cooper. One is the ICE detainer bill. We've seen a version of that bill for the past three years two bienniums yeah Yeah. and so that is nothing new what is new is whether or not they can override the governor's veto on that bill there was another bill and it's titled schools for the deaf and blind which sounds like it would be non-controversial but that bill is vetoed because it takes away some appointment power from the governor democrats filed an abortion bill that essentially codifies the Roe v. Wade decision from 50 years ago. And we saw a bill from Senator Bill Rabin about medical marijuana. We announced it last week that he had told me that he is refiling the bill. Well, it showed up again this past Wednesday. I'm sure we will follow that saga again. (laughs) We had two organizations release polls this week from the John Locke Foundation. Their polling shows that the generic ballot between the Republican and Democrat 47% are pulling a Republican ballot if the 2024 election was today. And 42% are pulling a Democratic ballot. Of course, you know, 
long way away from these elections, but interesting numbers here. They asked voters about the approval of Governor Roy Cooper's performance as governor. Took a slight tick down. He's at about 45% approval. That's down from 47.9% back in November, 46.4% back in October. And then the rest of the polling has a lot to do with school choice. Today is the wrap-up of School Choice Week. If you want more information about School Choice Week and this poll that was commissioned by the John Locke Foundation, go over to their website at johnlocke.org. There was another poll from the NC Values Coalition and NC Faith and Freedom Coalition, kind of your pro-life folks. They did a poll specifically around abortion, what restrictions people favor in North Carolina. And then they also looked at the overall temperature, um, national politics, and the likely gubernatorial candidates. Yeah, it's an interesting poll. This is definitely an interest group that is promoting, you know, anti-abortion policy down at the General Assembly, but their polling shows that North Carolinians are more pro-choice than pro-life. And you can go to their website and learn more about this poll. But what was interesting is that they are reporting that a Mark Robinson-Josh Stein matchup is knotted at 42%. A Trump-Biden matchup in North Carolina has Biden up 48 Trump 45. A DeSantis Biden has DeSantis beating Biden by four points, 48 to 44. You know, just some interesting nuggets in here to look at, you know, way too early to be (laughs) taking any polling to the bank. But, you know, fun for all NC poll types that like to look at these numbers. This week, we have a special guest, Seth Palmer, who is a communications consultant here in town. We wanted to talk to him, just trying to make sense of this whole Beth Wood situation. He came by the office on Tuesday, and Sky and I sat down and had a great conversation. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Seth Palmer, welcome to the podcast. You are a communications consultant. Tell us a little bit about what you do. For the past, we'll say 14, 15 years, I've been in the political government affairs and communications arena here in North Carolina. I'm obviously, as you can tell by my accent, I'm native to North Carolina. So I've been around political things for oh, for as long as I can remember. Seth, we're here to talk about crisis communications because we have some leaders in our state, one in particular, who is in a crisis, political and communications. Uh, set us up with what we know so far about the Beth Wood saga that's playing out in the media. It's actually a relatively simple situation. In a lot of times in crises of any kind, it's it's multifaceted. It's got a lot of layers. It's got a lot of things you have to unpack to get to the ultimate root of what's going on and why it's a problem. But in her case, 
it appears, and, and a lot of this we'll have to say kind of in the allegedly component because there is a legal aspect to it as, as a crisis a lot of times come with. But on a night in December, she was driving home from, from somewhere here in downtown Raleigh and at some point hit a parked car uh, with her vehicle, which is a state-owned vehicle. There are images out there that show kind of up on two wheels kind of thing. I mean, it's a, a relatively significant motor vehicle incident, but that was December. That was December before 8th, Christmas. I yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, we're talking over a month ago, and it just was within the past less than a week ago that we started to hear rumbles out of different media outlets. I know Axios Raleigh broke some of it. Other outlets have broken more of it over time. And all during that time, Number one, you didn't hear anything about it from from her or from anybody on the government level. You didn't hear about it, period, until yeah. I'm, I'm sure it showed up on a docket for district court. And now she's come out within the past, say, 24 hours or so with a statement. It's a relatively, from my perspective in communications, it's a relatively formed statement. I mm-hmm. mean, she certainly is working with a very experienced lawyer who's who's been around the block on these type of issues, both for political uh, officials as well as just for everybody, uh, everyday citizens. It's relatively measured. You, you certainly haven't heard her say anything other than it was a significant accident. It was, uh, it was a mistake on her part. And using some key words that you, you certainly hear in a lot of crises or, or kind of negative situational responses. Well, let's give the timeline again. So December 8th is when the accident happened. It's the night of the Christmas tree lighting. The story breaks January 18th, the Wednesday night. And then her first statement is released on Monday, January 23rd. So Mm -hmm. a lot of time here. There was the question of why did she not release a statement right away? Because NC Poll World was out there just hitting refresh for mm-hmm. five days, waiting for a story. Let's just do a, a scenario here in which Auditor Wood is your client. Mm-hmm. What would you have advised her to do? In a crisis response, the, the first thing that you have to do is to gather the information and gather as much information as you have available to you. It really would be to sit down and, and go through the full timeline, to walk through what happened, when it happened, how it happened, because it, it takes a little bit of time to unpack any of that. We, we as humans have to unpack things that happen to us. We don't always have the clearest remembrances in the immediate future, or excuse me, the immediate past. But as we think about it, sometimes things come up. The challenge here is that there is a, a decidedly legal situation. She left the scene of an accident. That in and of itself is a very significant complication. And so if I was her first call, my advice to her would be, to contact her attorney because in crisis situations you want to bring in all of the experts so that you're all speaking from the same sheet of music very quickly because the worst thing that can happen in a crisis response is that you get into a he said she said all this kind of back and forth and the media is consuming that you want to to have the narrative presented as clearly as possible so that there's not this drip 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 yeah. drip that we see in a lot of Especially you see this out of D.C., a lot of the inside the beltway crises where it's a little bit here, a little bit there. And I think that can be even more damaging. Let's say that Otterwood runs again for re-election. 
How much of an impact is this sort of situation that we think is a big deal right now going to play out in an election? In the political context, crises can have a varied array of effects. You've certainly seen over the past, say, eight, ten years, the lack of effect that you that certain crises have had on political officials by using tools like denial but i think for her it's it's certainly uh, it always will raise a question because there wasn't the the transparency that comes from i made a mistake initially had had she just come out and said okay on on xyz night I, i was involved in an accident i think for for those who come out very clearly and articulate it from the front end Sometimes the political impact is is little to none. I mean, you, you've seen this over history where politicians, elected officials, candidates who have very serious crises. You think back to to the Ted Kennedy era of of those level of crises and and others that have befallen folks and then who stayed in in political life for right. for forty fifty years and are are much beloved for so many other things. And so I think it's time will tell. I don't I don't know that we can can fully know at this current point what what ultimate impact this will have on her. It seems to me that when a politician is in legal jeopardy, the lawyers sometimes give contrary advice to the communications uh, specialist. So a lawyer usually will say say nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a communications director, I'm a big fan of inoculation. I'm a big fan of showing contrition. And that is somewhat admitting guilt in mm-hmm. public. From a lawyer's mindset, and this is not to to make any kind of kind of lawyer jokes. I work with a lot of lawyers. I know Sky, I'm sitting, mm-hmm. I'm sitting here <laughs> across from a lawyer. I'm not, not going to make any joke about it, but they're trained to to, to mitigate risk. Or prevent it ultimately. You you don't want your client to become in further legal jeopardy. But in the communications world, you can't think as black and white as, as that because you're dealing with people. You're not dealing with with a court. You're dealing with the court of public opinion. It's it's a push and pull a lot of times between the comms and the the lawyers. So you talked a little bit about how public officials and the public have changed in responding to crises recently. Can you talk a little bit about how the dynamic has changed in the last few years? Let's be real. Crises have been around in political life as long as there has been political life. But one of the things in in the crisis communications world that we've seen, certainly when it comes to political officials, is, yeah, this, this denial mindset of if I don't let it hurt me, it won't hurt me. I mean, you're even seeing it now about the, the George Santos conversation at, at the federal mm-hmm. level or, or, or even the, the classified documents right. scandal. I mean, it's the kind of put your, your fingers in your ears and, and, and hum a happy tune and, and you'll, you'll get through it kind of conversation. And that goes, that truly goes against everything I ever learned in, in crisis communication, what I've ever seen from anybody. It, it does beg the question of, can this work? I, I, I would hope that it doesn't. So kind of going back to what you were talking about, how we're all waiting for a response for days with social media and with the way the media has to respond really quickly to events. How does that change kind of what you would advise a client? Anytime a client comes and, and says, hey, we, we need to think about a strategic communications plan, 
a crisis plan should always be a part of that. And it's something that, that I've worked on for, for a variety of different organizations and groups because you never want to think about the bad things that happen, but you want to know what to do when, when bad things happen. And that's really the key. Are you saying that Auditor Wood, along with every other politician in town, needs to have a crisis plan on their bookshelf or on their computer ready to put into action for scenarios like what we've seen over the last month? While the, the consultant in, in me says, yes, absolutely, everyone should should put these plans together and engage great folks like me to do them, I think it is the, the understanding when these things happen to know who you're who to rely on, who to who to contact, because you, you don't want to get in the situation where your client, your your candidate, in, in this case we can use Auditor Wood as, as an example, but I've I can honestly frame out a whole handful of others. You don't want them to get caught in a, in a parking lot and, and being caught off their feet and, and going down the, the trap that, that some people think is, is their, their panacea, but actually is a, is a further trap of the no comment response. No comment is a comment. Yeah. It, in in the the communications world, it's it's literally the same thing as taking the fifth. Right. You're you're saying that you know something that you're just not going to tell me. I mean, it's it's what my you know something that's damaging. Yeah. To, to you, it, it's what right. my four year old does when when she doesn't want to want to tell me what what went on at school that day. It's the I'll tell you at dinner. <laughs> well, let's uh-huh. let's bring this full circle on Auditor Wood. So we're a couple days before she makes her first appearance in court. There is an Instagram video that is floating around. WREL just broke the story showing Auditor Wood or what looks like Auditor Wood. And she has very distinguished features here. Uh, walking into Rufus Edmondson's law office. He used to be attorney general. He used to be secretary of state. Uh, there's a gentleman on a phone kicking the car. I guess he's presumably trying to get it dislodged from the other car seems to just be a mess out there where do you think auditor wood goes from here i think it's it's going to be a very very challenging next few months next next two years essentially as she she still is is the elected state auditor of of north carolina i mean the legal jeopardy behind it is not not all that significant in the in the not going to be shackled and taken off to jail. This is a, we're talking misdemeanors, but I think the, the, as we've seen the, the drip, drip, drip of information is certainly raising so many questions. You've seen the, the governor having to, to make a statement. You've seen other members of the council of state make statements. And that is for an elected official of that level, that's probably the most awkward situation that you can ever have. Not to belabor this particular situation, because I know we're talking broad and narrow here, but does it pose an issue or a further complication that their comms person resigned on Friday, 24 hours after this came out? It's not a good look. Let's let's, let's just start there. There's Um, a TikTok, apparently, that's been taken down. Yeah. Kind of ties the two together. And it it opens up, I, I mean, again, that... That much like, and, and by no means do I want to overtly compare this back to, to Nixon, but you think back to the, the drip, drip, drip of things, and it's the, 
what what politicians ultimately are are brought down by in in these situations is the lack of of initial and and consistent clarity yeah. that people that is just one thing after another you're unraveling the onion uh, all, all throughout the process and and by the end of it it's 10 times 20 times 30 times bigger than what you thought and and probably it's bigger than what it would have been had you just come out laid your cards completely on the table as, as best you could from the beginning. Tell me if you agree or disagree. I believe in inoculation and transparency in a crisis because I believe that an audience can relate to flaws. Mm-hmm. And when they hear you admit flaws, an audience will root for you. On the flip side, I believe that if you are in denial they don't believe you, so they're just trying to figure it out, and they're rooting against you. Would you say that's true? Yeah, I, I definitely think that that taking taking the onus on yourself to inoculate the situation as best you can is almost universally the the best practice. Yeah, it, it certainly. I mean, there there are always going to be situations where you can't fully fully inoculate your, yourself from it, and you have to kind of take some some middle ground but i look back to heck all of the 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 crises that were brought on to to candidates by extramarital situations from memory i I can't think of one who who came out clearly from the beginning i made a mistake i engaged in xyz activity and i have i am sorry for it i am sorry about it i I, I am taking these steps with with my family. With it's it's that level because yeah, it is that human nature. Right. You, we know that we we as people make mistakes, yeah. but when you own up to it, it, it allows that human nature to kick in. And right. and there will still be people who say, "Oh, you're yeah. you're just horrible. You're 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 not you're not who you say you are. You're playing into the game." Blah 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 blah. But most people, yeah, will give you that grace because we hope that. That if we were in the same situation, we we would be given that. Before we get to the magic wand question, uh, just want to for our audience to know. I mean, you don't just do crisis com- communications. You're you get to work on positive things too, yeah, right? I, I, I don't usually have. To, I mean, crises are are interesting to me. I, I I've always enjoyed the the interplay that that goes into it. But no, I I do all manner of communications. I, I support. In, in some respects, I support biz, basic business development communications for for a group of attorneys. I mean, so it's it's everything from advocacy and and getting out there and and helping people send emails to their legislators and 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 ring the ring the voting bells uh, on on particular policy all the way into just your basic press release and, and, and announcing something that a company wants to get out to the media. In our political world, we're incredibly divided. If there is one thing that you could use a magic wand and fix in our politics, what would it be? It, it's more of a mindset shift. It's it's a a, a teaching of, uh, of everyone. It's not necessarily tearing down the, the respective party labels, but it's it's tearing down a lot of the ideological labels hmm. that have divided us. Because I think when we talk from from my perspective as a former lobbyist, as a, a communications professional who deals a lot in in government communications and government relations communications, it's it, it's that that ideological divide that sets us back so so much. I mean, I, I look back across political traditions in my lifetime in North Carolina. 
there were Democrats and Republicans who who got along a mm-hmm. lot. Yeah. They they put the partisan label aside and just did it. I, I worked on bills with then somewhat freshman or uh, Republican member Tom Tillis when I, my boss was the the Democratic House Majority Leader. Mm. That wasn't frowned upon. There wasn't any any rocks thrown or or anybody saying too much about it. The bill got passed. Something something changed, and we all moved on. And I think. That's yeah. That's really where where I would love to to see us return to to a degree of of normalcy, but also a, a, an understanding amongst all of us that that we are we are people first and and political actors second, and and be able to to think about that in a better way. Well, Seth Palmer, we appreciate everything you do in communications, everything you're doing in the NC poll world. You certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you for being on the podcast today. Thanks. I appreciate it. The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. This conversation seemed to be very timely, and we will see how the rest of the story unfolds, but we appreciate Seth for coming on and talking us through it. You know, now that we're back in session, we're starting to get some legislators in the queue. Looking forward to having a good slate of interviews coming up from our leaders in the General Assembly. Tweet of the week. Okay, so this week's Tweet of the Week was nominated, and we are going with a nomination this week. So we're going to put it back out there. If you want to nominate a tweet, we will allow nominations, but you won't always get it, Senator Perry. (laughs) Or Senator Woodard, especially when it's last year's tweet. Yes. (laughs) We're not going to name names. (laughs) But the Tweet of the Week comes from someone named Billman. And he's at Jeffrey Billman. And his tweet says, Lauren Freeman is prosecuting half of the Democrats on the Council of State. (laughs) Lauren Freeman is the Wake County DA. And by the way, she is a Democrat. And created quite a buzz (laughs) around the case with Attorney General Josh Stein. Yeah. I mean, she's just doing her job. And yeah, she's kind of getting beat up by the Democrats. To be clear, whoever is handling the Beth Wood case is probably an assistant district attorney. And, you know, we've went to a couple of events this week. The Insider had an event Wednesday night, ANC. It seems like uh, legislators are taking every opportunity as they're giving their remarks. Most politicians will open up with a joke. Mm-hmm. And this seems to have made it into a punchline for a lot of these jokes. And it gets, you know polite laughter yeah i said being back in session really reminds you that the bar is on the floor for what we pretend is funny (laughs) some things really are funny but yeah we yeah the bar is pretty low yeah it's like a legislative joke outside on the street is not funny that's right yeah all right listening to that interview with seth i can hear the cold was pretty bad on tuesday yeah you had a cold Who'd I get it from? 
it must have been Tuesday morning when you texted me to let me know that you took a COVID test, but you didn't have COVID, but you had this terrible cold. And in case I wanted to avoid you, I'm like, I know, <laughs> I gave you the cold. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> and we did ride in a car together for four hours, twice, for a total of eight hours last week. And I had a cold. Meanwhile, you know, I've been blowing my nose. I'm like, did you take something? I've got it too. It's totally fine. Get here literally every five to six minutes. <laughs> <laughs> on the dot brian lewis is like i feel terrible oh my gosh i my head is foggy i think i might die and i'm like can we limit your complaints to once an hour it was a pretty brutal cold <laughs> and uh seth palmer if you have a cold we apologize you got it from us <laughs> but i said this is the thing that I said to you on Tuesday after hours of listening to you complain about it. I have never met a man <laughs> ever who has disproven that <laughs> when confronted with the cold, they believe in their heart they will die. <laughs> I have never met a man who does not live up to that, you included. Yeah, that might be true. Can you imagine if men could have babies, the complaining we would do? Like, just the peril of it all. Yeah. <laughs> just another way women are superior. Oh, I absolutely agree with that. Yeah, that's why I'm not a feminist. I'm whatever the opposite of that is. <laughs> I don't want us to be equal. I want women to be superior. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're a gender supremacist? Is yeah. that what you are? A gender, gender supremacist? supremacist? Isn't it supremacist? Supremacist. Gosh, you can't even get it right. You can't go to the meetings if you can't pronounce it right. Anyway, if you're a man, don't talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> don't talk to her with a cold. Yeah. You're better now, though. I feel better. I still, I still got a little bit of a sniffle, even though I am a complainer. I'm not one to take medicine, but when I picked you up at your house yesterday and we were going to session. I had it out. You had the Dayquil out? Yeah. That... Should have put the Nyquil out to shut you up. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid me. That day, that Dayquil was pretty good. I felt like that was the beginning of healing. Yeah. I told you for like 48 straight hours to take something. You refused. And so you took it at my house. I told you it's going to take away the pressure in your face. You know why I don't want to take it? Because you don't want me to be right. <laughs> I don't want it to interfere with my martyrdom. <laughs> I know. This is the thing. Brian lives life as the main character. How many times back at the General Assembly, you know, we're walking together. The door hit me in the face at least four times. Yesterday. <laughs> right. yeah. Like one time you were all the way over the bridge and I yelled at you like, don't wait for me. I'll be there later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I do need to be better. <laughs> or last night at the event when our client, you went to hang up your coat and you started <laughs> to walk away. I had my coat in my hand and our client's like, are you going to take Sky? Brian, take Sky's coat. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry yeah. about that. Yeah. It, it sounds like the men in your life are just disappointing you on assisting you 
you know. That's not true. I went to my mentoring program on Mondays. Yes. And my the little boy that I mentor, who I've spoken of before, he is 10. And he's like, from now on, you do nothing. I do everything for you. <laughs> he pulls out the chair for me. And then he got a cell phone for Christmas. And he walks in with a piece of paper. He's like, can you write your phone number down on this? I'd like to give you a call. And he said, don't worry. It's not romantic. (laughs) (laughs) Ten years old. Yeah, he's really smooth. Playa. He walks me back to my car, opens the door for me. The surface level of ten-year-olds is high. I got a couple of them. (laughs) You know, session was back this Wednesday. Sounds like we're really not up and at them until week after next we're talking the first full week of february yeah there are a couple of committees scheduled for next week one is an appointment over in senate judiciary is going to meet next week um, to confirm an appointee and then on the house side that schools for the deaf and blind bill is going to be heard in k-12 so there are going to be a couple kid committees rolling but no big ticket items. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to getting back in the pace. This past Wednesday, I, was, I have to admit, I was a little worn out. Shock to the system. Yeah, I was like, man, this is a long day. But I'll get back in that rhythm, and we'll be full steam week after next. And, of course, we'll be in the building next week as well, but ease on into it. Our colleague, Christy Jones, will be back from Washington, D.C. She's been on the Hill this week. Best of luck to everyone this session. Already off to a great start. Yeah, we can't wait to talk to you all about the podcast. If you have ideas or folks you want to hear from, please do let us know. We will talk to you all next week. But in the meantime, please remember to do politics better. (laughs) He he actually, he actually is... Yeah. You, you gotta stop laughing. Get through your joke. He's a puppet.